Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Tuesday, January 25th. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph, there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is 20 minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Bred Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Mishpatim, and it means ordinances. Exodus 22, 5-27 If an animal is grazing in a field or vineyard and the owner lets it stray into someone else's field to graze, then the animal's owner must pay compensation from the best of his own grain or grapes. If you are burning thorn bushes and the fire gets out of control and spreads into another person's field, destroying the sheaves or the uncut grain or the whole crop, the one who started the fire must pay for the lost crop. Suppose someone leaves money or goods with a neighbor for safekeeping, and they are stolen from the neighbor's house. If the thief is caught, the compensation is double the value of what was stolen. But if the thief is not caught, the neighbor must appear before God, who will determine if he stole the property. Suppose there is a dispute between two people who both claim to own a particular ox, donkey, sheep, article of clothing, or any lost property. Both parties must come before God, and the person whom God declares guilty must pay double compensation to the other. Now suppose someone leaves a donkey, ox, sheep, or other animal with a neighbor for safekeeping, but it dies or is injured or gets away, and no one sees what happened. 
The neighbor must then take an oath in the presence of the Lord. If the Lord confirms that the neighbor did not steal the property, the owner must accept the verdict and no payment will be required. But if the animal was indeed stolen, the guilty person must pay compensation to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, the remains of the carcass must be shown as evidence, and no compensation will be required. If someone borrows an animal from a neighbor and it is injured or dies when the owner is absent, the person who borrowed it must pay full compensation. But if the owner was present, no compensation is required, and no compensation is required if the animal was rented for this loss is covered by the rental fee. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged to anyone and has sex with her, he must pay the customary bride price and marry her. But if her father refuses to let him marry her, the man must still pay him an amount equal to the bride price of a virgin. You must not allow a sorceress to live. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal must certainly be put to death. Anyone who sacrifices to any god other than the Lord must be destroyed. You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must not exploit a widow or an orphan. If you exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will blaze against you, and I will kill you with the sword. Then your wives will be widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as a moneylender would. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it and your neighbor cries out to me for help, then I will hear, for I am merciful. Judges 4, 4-24 Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kedesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out ten thousand warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will... Receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. At Kedesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and ten thousand warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zananim near Kadesh. 
When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all nine hundred of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Harasheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready! This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his ten thousand warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Harasheth Hagoyim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there is anyone here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. So on that day Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. Matthew 16, 13-17, 9 When Yeshua came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yeshua replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Yeshua began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. 
But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Yeshua turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Yeshua said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Six days later, Yeshua took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them on a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Yeshua's appearance was transformed, so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Yeshua. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Yeshua came over and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Yeshua. As they went back down the mountain, Yeshua commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Psalm 21, 1-13 How the King rejoices in your strength, O Lord! He shouts with joy, because you have given him victory. For you have given him his heart's desire. You have withheld nothing he requested. You welcomed him back with success and prosperity. You placed a crown of finest gold on his head. He asked you to preserve his life, and you granted his request. The days of his life stretch on forever. Your victory brings him great honor, and you have clothed him with splendor and majesty. You have endowed him with eternal blessings and given him the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. The unfailing love of the Most High will keep him from stumbling. You will capture all your enemies. Your strong right hand will seize all who hate you. You will throw them in a flaming furnace when you appear. The Lord will consume them in his anger. Fire will devour them. You will wipe their children from the face of the earth. They will never have descendants. Although they plot against you, their evil schemes will never succeed, for they will turn and run when they see your arrows aimed at them. Rise up, O Lord, in all your power. With music and singing we celebrate your mighty acts. Proverbs 5, 1-6 My son, pay attention to my wisdom. 
Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment, and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. For she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. I'd like to speak to you today from our New Testament portion from Matthew chapter 16 and into 17. And I want to consider with you the question, what does it really mean to be a disciple, a follower of Yeshua the Messiah? And we get a glimpse and um, a deeper understanding to that question in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 where Yeshua says to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's just unpack that. The cross is an instrument of death. And so the I must die. When we pick up our cross, it is uniquely designed for each and every one of us Now, of course, it's not a literal cross, but it's some kind of an affliction, um, a trial, something that we live with that's very difficult, very hard, and it causes our flesh to die. Now, we either embrace our cross that the Lord has given to us, or we wrestle and we fight and we try to get off of it, get away from it, and take things into our own hands. What might that cross look like? It could be the fact that you're single and you long and desire to be married. That can be a type of a cross. It can be a health issue, a disability, something that disables you, maybe being in a wheelchair or you've had a heart attack or you have some kind of a physical disability. Maybe you're a widow and your spouse of many years has recently passed away and you terribly deeply miss your spouse. Whatever your cross is, know this, it has been uniquely designed by God, especially for you. And what's the purpose of it? So that we learn to die to ourself and we learn to live for Christ and in Christ, to do his bidding, to be his bond servant. It goes on to say in verse 25, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So, in the world, people are selfish. Many of the people in the media world, the medical world, the communications world, the political world, they've been bought off by the globalists and paid off to go along with the globalist agenda to push and promote the poisonous jab, the bioweapon injection, and to look the other way, to promote it. They've been bought off to go along with election corruption and to stuff ballots and to lie about 
the ballot so that an election was stolen. And money is what got to them. Or perhaps they've been threatened. If you don't go along with our agenda, we're going to kill your daughter, your wife. Or we'll kill you. Or perhaps they were caught in compromising situations and now they're being blackmailed. And so greed is what is often the engine that's motivating people and driving them along. There is actually a financial incentive for doctors and hospitals to give a COVID diagnosis and then to put people on a respirator, a ventilator. And then there's even another financial incentive for a death to happen. And the cause of death is COVID. The the hospital gets $40,000 for every person who dies of COVID. Greed is what's motivating big pharma and some of the hospitals and administrators and in the media. It's all greed. They're getting paid off. But we were bought with a price. And how do you put a price tag? On your soul. That's what it says in verse 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And we were bought with a price. We are not to be slaves of men, but we're to be a bondservant to Yeshua. So the cost of being a disciple is we have to die, lay down our lives, And let Yeshua's agenda be what is our primary driving force in our life. That we obey him. And sometimes obedience is hard. It's difficult. It can take us down a lonely path. And yet it's well worth it. The fruit, the harvest is tremendous if we are obedient. Because our reward will be for all eternity in heaven. We will be part of the bride that will dwell with Yeshua for all eternity in the heavenly Jerusalem. Not just for a thousand years, but forever and ever and ever and ever. Now let's jump into Psalm 21. There's a different fate for the wicked, for the evil. And in verse 8 and 9, it says, You will capture all your enemies. Your strong right hand will seize all who hate you. You will throw them in a flaming furnace when you appear. The Lord will consume them in his anger, and fire will devour them. You will wipe their children from the face of the earth, and they will never have descendants. That is the fate of evil and wicked people. I don't know about you. But I want to be in heaven with Yeshua forever as part of his bride. So we may suffer. We may be persecuted. We may have to do things that we would rather not do. But it's part of the process of going through the refining fires so that we can be as a bride made ready for her soon coming king. We are betrothed to him. We're engaged. Now we believe in faith, but one day we will see him face to face. Now, one other thing I wanted to pull out of this passage from uh, Matthew chapter 17 is about this transfiguration. 
So let's start in verse 2. As the men watched, Yeshua's appearance was transformed, so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Yeshua. Now think about it. Moses knows Yeshua. He knows Yeshua. He's got a relationship with him. And so what was often the debate between Yeshua and the Pharisees of the day? They said, we follow Moses. Who are you? We follow Moses. Well, guess what? Moses knows Yeshua and follows him. And in fact, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, it was Yeshua who gave them to him. Yeshua in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures is referred to as the right hand of the Father. Yeshua is his right hand, and he now sits in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Yeshua implements and perfectly executes the will of the Father. The Father is sort of like the CEO, and then Yeshua implements and executes and puts into practice what the Father's vision is about things. So Moses knows Yeshua. That's a picture of Old Testament and New Testament no longer being divided out, but they are one. They are one. And then it goes on to say in verse 5, A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. So, we have a clear statement here from the Father that he has a Son, and his name is Yeshua. Sometimes what happens in Hebrew Roots is that there are individuals who embrace the Torah and they stop reading from the Brit Hadashah, they stop reading the words of Christ, and eventually they renounce him. And they say, he's not the Son of God, and I don't follow Yeshua anymore. And sometimes they even hop the fence and convert to Judaism. And when that happens, I'm deeply grieved, very sad, because to renounce the Son is to renounce the Father. And so we see here clearly in the scriptures, the father is speaking. He says, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. So we have a father and we have the son, Yeshua, and we go to the father through the son, Yeshua. We should never renounce him or turn our back on him or step away from him. Yeshua is the son of the father And they are one. They are one. The Father and the Son are one. So finally, let's look at verse 9. As they went back down the mountain, Yeshua commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. What's that about? He also warned them earlier on in chapter 16, In chapter 16, verse 20, he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. What's going on here? Yeshua is exercising discernment and wisdom and timing. He knows that if 
the word gets out that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, if it gets out too soon, if the cat gets out of the bag too soon, it, it puts into motion an increased level of persecution to where the Pharisees of the day want to put him to death. And God's timing needs to be followed. Same thing with the, the witnessing of the transfiguration. He's saying, don't say anything to anybody about this until after I have been raised from the dead. So it's wisdom and discernment that he is putting into practice here. So how does this apply to our lives? There may be times when in your private prayer closet time, your time with the Lord, uh, if you journal, which I highly recommend, um, and you write your things down of what's on your heart, and then you get quiet to listen and you practice listening prayer. Father, what say you? What say you about this issue that I have brought before you? That he will speak to your heart and it's good to write down what you hear. So he may give you a word and it might be a word just for you. It's just for you. It's a personal word to minister to you. He may give you a word that is to be shared with the body. It's maybe perhaps something very encouraging and affirming, but there's a timing to it of when to release that word and in what venue, what platform, what group of people are to receive that word. So again, that has to do with discernment, understanding God's timing. In other words, the word he gives you maybe have a seal on it, a seal, and you have to wait for his timing as to when to release it. I do encourage you in your private prayer time, your prayer closet time, to journal, to write down what's on your heart that you're bringing to the Lord, but also to practice listening prayer and to listen to what he has to say to you. He may give you a scripture. He may whisper something to you that's very precious and dear. He may give you a vision. Uh, he, he will move and speak and reveal himself to you um, exactly w- what you need and what, what you're ready to receive. Okay, that's all I have for today. Have a blessed day, and we will see you tomorrow. Shalom. Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you 
and give you peace.